Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author Elizabeth Bodine. She's the author of Bigger Pete, Conversations Between Life and Afterlife. This is a nonfiction narrative based on exact conversations between the author and her brother Pete. The conversation followed Pete's decline, including his loss of language with Alzheimer's disease, through the last eight years of his life and into his afterlife. While her brother was asleep, the author communicated with Pete by means of automatic writing while she was in hypnotic trance. So although Pete, without language, became increasingly isolated when awake, he could talk when asleep and found relief in doing so through this unusual method, especially as he approached the end of his life. Others in the conversations who speak from this world of spirit include Pete's deceased parents and Pete's higher self, identified as Bigger Pete. Elizabeth Bodine grew up in the burned-over district of western New York State, but now lives near Hawk Mountain, Pennsylvania. She holds degrees in cultural anthropology, consciousness studies, religions, and most recently, poetry. She has worked as an instructor of English in Japan, an organic farmer in the mountains of Oregon, a childbirth instructor in West Africa, and as a professor of anthropology. Her poems have appeared in Cimarron Review, Crenog, and Parabola, among other publications in the USA, Ireland, Canada, Australia, and India. Her collections are the chapter books Plumb Lines, Rough Terrain, Notes of an Undutiful Daughter about her mother's decline with Alzheimer's, End Papers, and I Sing the Undersun. Her book Blood, Metal, Fiber, Rock was published in 2018, Journeys with, Journeys with Fortune, A Tale of Other Lives, and Oblique Music, A Book of Hours were published in 2019. Elizabeth Bodine, welcome. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Well, reading the introduction and all the different jobs, positions you've had, we could have a really interesting conversation about a number of things, like <laughs> what does a childbirth instructor do in West Africa, or what's it like to be an organic farmer in the mountains of Oregon, and so on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what a what a great life to have done all these different things, and assuming there's a lot of travel involved as well. Well, some, although right now I'm pretty well, especially through the pandemic the last few years, pretty well situated and not traveling, but I guess that's opening up, which is good for everybody. Yeah, so and and I mentioned Hawk Mountain. That is the mountain in northern Berks County, near near Kutztown or Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful spot up there. It is actually um I didn't know of it for a long time. I grew up with an uncle who was an ornithologist and and the reason I mention that is I'm just reading a biography of him, which is called Born to Bird, and and he was a he he came regularly was involved in running Hawk Mountain, but he saw over 700 birds in his lifetime. And the book about his life and the birds is very interesting. So yeah, Hawk Mountain. I don't don't just live near it. It has sort of a personal family connection. <laughs> I see. I see. All right. Well, tell me about Pete. I mean, we the book is bigger Pete, and uh, we know what. Uh, how Pete evolves and becomes bigger Pete. But give us a little uh, overview of your brother Pete. 
Yeah, well, Pete was the youngest of us siblings. He was the fifth, and I had an older sister, younger sister, younger brother, and then Pete came. And although a lot of people, I think, would focus reading this story about um, the Alzheimer's disease, Pete was actually born with Down syndrome. And um, what's interesting about that is that he didn't even want to acknowledge or recognize that he had Down syndrome um, his whole life. And the very last conversation I had with him before he passed on was about that. Hmm. So um, he's when he was very young, he grew up in Rochester, New York, where we all grew up for the first 10 years of his life. But at the time that he was 10, which was 1966, there wasn't much available in the way of schooling at the time and where we were for people with Down syndrome. So my devote, very devoted parents found a school, the school that he ended up going to, a school and residential school in New Jersey, and he ended up being there for uh, the next 50 years of his life. Wow. Um, but I became much more involved in his life after my mother passed away, and she also had Alzheimer's disease. And um, so that was when I became closer and more involved with his life. It sort of led into seeing what was going on with him and so forth. And that's sort of a precursor to how the book started. I see. So how was he fully functioning? I mean, what was his day-to-day uh, -day like? Well, he was... Um, Down syndrome has sort of a range. He lived at the school, and, and when he finished the school, he ended up having jobs, some office jobs, but most of them were overseen, and uh, mm -hmm. he had, I would say, a limited life, but um, a good life. I think what's happened through writing this book is that I came to know my brother better and because the conversations with him carried into his afterlife, when he no longer had Down syndrome and no longer has Alzheimer's, he was able to tell me a whole lot more about his life, which I was totally unaware of, such as how very, very lonely he was the whole mm. life long. And so I think he managed um, with Down syndrome actually beautifully from the outside, but what was going on for him was somewhat different. Yeah, uh, that was my next question was, was it a happy life? And when you mentioned about how he, when he was fairly young, he went to a school in New Jersey, which sounds like there was some distance between where you all were and where he was, unless you all moved as well into that area. No, we didn't all move. My mother moved closer to the school, but um, no, but we he came back home on vacations and we went down to visit him. And um, unlike some other families, but when they have it, this is more true historically than it is now, but a lot of families who have had children with Down syndrome don't think they can manage anything at all and usually find somewhere else for them to live and sort of don't even consider them part of the family. Uh, that luckily has changed and um, is not so much the case now. But there are more facilities and so forth. But one of the reasons that I was glad to be doing this writing, this book, was to show a little bit more about one life of somebody with Down syndrome who also late in life got 
Alzheimer's. He was not aware. One of the surprising things for me in doing the book was that first how lonely he was lifelong and then also why he didn't even want to mention anything in his life about Down syndrome Hmm. was he was sort of under the impression that it would go away eventually. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And I thought, where did that, where did, where (laughs) did we (laughs) fail him in that? (laughs) Well, he, he was right though. It's just not in, you know, in his lifetime. So that's right. Um, that's right. So I have to ask you about Alzheimer's as well, which is a huge topic. Um, you know, and and he has this complication as well. And uh, you know, how did that play into things? And do you have any other Alzheimer experiences in your family? Well, he, my mother had Alzheimer's, and she died having Alzheimer's, and. Um, so when I got the news and it was, um, you know, I was actually at a conference in Florida and he had started to see a neurologist and the, and the neurologist had just had diagnosed him with Alzheimer's. And I was just, I thought, oh my gosh, after seeing what my mother went through, but for Pete, um, it wasn't exactly the same, but I think because he had down syndrome, it was harder to separate the limitations that that came with Down syndrome and what are the additional limitations that came with Alzheimer's. Eventually, he lost language, Mm -hmm. and that was not true with my mother's Alzheimer's. And um, so, in fact, when I began to do, I'd been doing the automatic writing in trance for many, many years before I was doing this with Pete in this particular book. And it occurred to me, I thought, I had heard from somebody who worked as a medium that people with Alzheimer's disease were sometimes available to talk with sort of through trance because they were not just in this life, but somehow elsewhere as well. We'll be right back. I'm talking to Elizabeth Bodine. Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ars Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical imprint. Check out Pettengill's Perfect Fortune Teller and Dream Book by Pelatiah Pettengill. The Space Between by Judith Bowen and works by Kareem El Kusa, including The Phoenician Code. Find out more by clicking on the Books tab at sunburypress.com. I'm talking to Elizabeth Bodine, the author of Bigger Pete, Conversations Between Life and Afterlife. And we were just starting to get into the... um, approach that you took to communicate with Pete. And, uh, you know, we, we had another book recently, a uh, similar situation uh, where someone was channeling a story from another entity. Now, this was not a brother or anything, but totally different uh, situation. But, uh, you know, we got into talking about how um, Edgar Casey at the Casey uh, Institute uh, how he had done similar things uh, using his abilities. And so you were getting into uh, how you've been doing this for a while. Maybe explain the, the process and how it works and how you got started in it. Well, I began, um, it was back in the 1980s when I was living in California, and a friend of mine um, wanted to know about past life work and past life regression work. And did I know anybody that worked in that with hypnotism and so forth and I didn't but then I heard of somebody that did and before I passed on the name I thought 
well, I better meet with this person before I pass on his name to somebody else. So I made an appointment, and I went and had the appointment. He said, well, if you really want to know what this is all about, I will hypnotize you. We will do a session. And I was a little hesitant, but I said, sure, okay. So I did it. Well, it was fascinating to me. I had a hard time believing what was coming up in terms of the lives that I started visiting. I did a number of lives. In fact, that was the book um, Journeys with Fortune. Fortune was a spirit guide. So I took a number of them. That was a book. Well, then I started to figure out, can I do any of this contact with sort of beyond this life on my own? was able somewhat to do it then. But then I... Oh, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I picked it up again and started doing it. So my process is I do it on my own. I've worked with hypnotists, but now I've been doing it enough. I've been doing it on my own for a number of years. I will sit very quietly and make sure I am not going to have interruptions. And I will, um, and I do it, it, the automatic writing part is the unusual part because I'm doing it by myself and I'm doing it on paper. So I will start to write and I will write an introduction, an induction to put myself into a hypnotic state. And the hypnotic state itself, in my experience, goes from a very light sort of thing so that I'm hardly noticing any difference at all to so deep that I'm falling asleep. And it kind of goes up and down sort of in a range between those two. But most of the time when I'm doing the writing, I have to be uh, not so deep I'm falling asleep. But once I'm in where I'm actually doing the automatic writing, I lose control over my own input into it. So if I'm having a conversation, as I was with Pete doing the conversations with him, I'm not consciously, fully consciously choosing what I am asking him. So the surprises of what he might say is only one part. What I have to say is equally surprising to me. And sometimes if I come out of a session, I will remember some of what went on in the session. But if I'm at deeper levels of the hypnosis, I may not remember it until I come out and see what I've written on the page. Wow. Now, do you hear like Pete's voice uh, when doing this? Or is it just coming it's through? It's in the writing. He- yeah. It's in the writing, and it's hard to explain, but it's just like I allow my, I do it with a big, fat, you know, kitty pencil. They're so thick, you know, like the, my first Ticonderoga number two pencil. I use that, to, and, and I use a, just a yellow legal pad, nothing fancy at all, and I'll just do the induction, and when I'm doing it, I don't, I'm right, and most of it is legible. Occasionally, there's stuff that's not legible. But most of it, I'm at a level that can be legible and still not really have control over what I'm saying, and certainly over not what else comes in from anyone else. And the anyone else has been quite a few people over the years. Um, uh, I was thinking just in preparation to talking with you how I have not really explored the possibility of talking to historical figures, although I have talked to a number of people, particularly poets, that, that I've admired and so I've I've asked for them, and as I go into a session, if there's somebody particular that I would like to speak with, who I know has passed on, I will ask for that particular person. Most of the time, they actually end up answering. Maybe not much, but somehow there's something. Huh, that's interesting. 
So, in fact, Elizabeth Bishop, who was a poet that was I was very fond of, and I started doing it with her, and I was, I couldn't, it wasn't going that well. I wasn't, I don't know what the problem was this some years ago. But then I got a residence in the, the house in Canada, in Nova Scotia, where she grew up. And so we went up and I spent some time in the house, in her bedroom, where she lived, and tried again. And then I was able to speak with her. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so I can't explain how it all works. It's right. just, and I'm totally skeptical. I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners would be skeptical saying, what does she think she's doing? You know. Well, the yeah, I mean, it. I can't. I'm skeptical, too. I'm a very rational, logical person, but I've also had very unusual things happen to me that I can't explain. And I think in your case, um, you know, thinking about what's happened to you, were there any times, whether it was when you're communicating with Pete or doing the past life regressions that you talked about or other sessions, did you receive any information that you previously didn't know, but when you checked it out, it was like, oh, my God, this is correct. There's no way I could know this, but I've just learned it. So uh, just curious right. if there's anything like that, because that really yeah, would seem well, to corroborate, you know, that exactly. something's no, up. You're, you're absolutely right. I, at the beginning when I started doing it, I was so very skeptical. And I said, I've got to come up with some proof for this. I mean, I, I can't just keep being so skeptical. Where is this coming from? And there was a past life that was um, in England. And so I happened to, when I happened to be in England, I decided to try to track down stuff. And I was in the midst of doing that and didn't get very far with the details because it was historical and a lot of the stuff wasn't around anymore. But... Um, then I just said to myself, "Why am I so un, you know, untrusting? And this is this isn't even fun. I don't want to do this." So I thought, "I'm just going to do it." And what I've gotten through the trance writing itself, and I've forgotten when it came, but very sometime after that, the voice just said, "That's okay. You don't have to give up the skepticism. You sit down and write. Just put the skepticism up there on the bookshelf." where you can see it and you can glance at it anytime you feel the need to, but just don't let it get in the way. So that's basically why I've done. But of course, sometimes it raises its head again and I get yeah. skeptical. Or I talk to people about it and people are skeptical and so forth. Sure. I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking to Elizabeth Bodine, the author of Bigger Pete. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent, diverse authors. Hearth and Home Press brings you When I Listen to a Farmer by Pete Curran, a book of photos and stories from American farmers. Also check out Fly Fishing for Trout and Bass, a beginner's quick guide by Charles F. Johnson, and At Home, 92 home-based activities to keep adults and children busy, sane, and centered by Prudence Ingerman. Find these and other intriguing works at sunburypress.com. I'm talking to Elizabeth Bodine, the author of Bigger Pete, and I know the last segment we spent a lot of time on skepticism, which is, it's healthy to, to discuss that, but I think uh, we might have been digressing <laughs> a lot from your from your <laughs> book and, you know, what, what you've actually accomplished here. But it sounds to me like through this method, you got to know your brother a lot better. And so maybe tell us a little bit without giving a whole lot away, because we do want people to get the book. It's a fascinating I mean, j just the method that you you use to do this is is amazing and might interest a lot of readers for that reason. But then the story about Pete as well in his life well, and situation. Yeah. 
Well, I'll say a bit about Peace, but I think when in terms of who would be of interest, I have thought that it it might well be friends and families of people with Down syndrome, probably the smallest group, even though Pete didn't really acknowledge that his whole life, and it didn't figure prominently in the book until the very end. But, of course, also people that know people with Alzheimer's disease. I think a lot of people would be interested in just the unique means of doing this kind of automatic writing in trance. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing was because it went, Pete's, the Pete story went past his death into the afterlife and what he had to say from there. One of the instances where I could see that Pete really was quite serious about not acknowledging the Down syndrome that he had was he was in a van with some other people and the driver pulled into a handicap zone wherever they were going. Pete wouldn't get out of the van because he didn't think he was handicapped and so he didn't belong there. So lifelong, he didn't really pay attention to Down syndrome. And what was interesting as I was doing the conversations with him, um, he, he like, uh, interestingly, a lot of people that have Down syndrome are very lovely people and good sense of humor, et cetera, et cetera. And he was. He was just, he sort of went with the flow. I think a lot of it, he the hardship he had by having Down syndrome in public with people that didn't know him. He internalized, and I didn't hear about his distress a lot until I was able to have this conversation with him. But what was really found, what he found really distressing was when Alzheimer's showed up, because it sort of affected him in a way that made him very angry and very unlike Pete. Mm -hmm. And he was, he had, he would hit his arm against things, even broke his arm, and it was just so atypical of Pete and the rest of his life. And he, he has said in this book how it just, those two things, I mean, it seemed like they were just counter each other. And um, one of the things that somehow happened during the later stages of the uh, Alzheimer's was he started having friends that were puppets. And this was fascinating to me. Hmm. There were, he described them to me. Nobody else could see him, but he could see them. And they they would go with him places. When he got to where he had to have a wheelchair, they would ride on the wheelchair with him. They would go places with him. They would talk to him. And he's described what they're like. They used to, when I'd go back and forth in the car with him, he'd be sitting in the passenger seat, and the little, and the little puppets would be on, his, on the floor by his feet. He'd talk with them. I couldn't see them. And, uh, you know, I kept saying, Pete, I don't see them. And this was a fascination for me. And the, wh when he passed on, I asked him at one point, I said, do you still see your friends, the puppets? And he said, no, not anymore. So I don't know where the puppets came from and whether or not this was, you know, a way of dealing with what was going on for him. Mm -hmm. He couldn't really talk with them. He said they knew more, a whole lot more about him than he knew about them. They had just such lovely ways and sounds that they made, and they could make themselves bigger in size if you weren't paying attention. It was sort of like their form of shouting, and but they didn't like to do that. I mean, all kinds of just very interesting things about the puppets. And, um, I mean, Pete had surprises like that that somehow he managed in his life and you know, some of the things I'll never get answers to, but, yeah. but certainly doing the conversations in the book into the end of his life. And at first, as I mentioned, he didn't want to do it, but when he lost language, he then wanted to talk a lot. So it was not 
hard at all to mm-hmm. tune in. So what was different then once he passed? Like, has he shared with you what that's like? What's the other oh, side yeah. like? Yeah, it's been, well, he apparently dropped the Down syndrome, dropped the Alzheimer's, um, dropped even what we think of as body. I mean, there's sections in the book that describe what it's like, and he says there's like a faint, sweet smell. It's very pleasant, not strong, and, you know, if he, there's music, but it's not really humming, and it's not really singing or pianos or trumpets, but he says it's sound, and it changes, and it's lovely to listen to. I mean, a lot of details that he just describes from his point of view about that things sort of look the same, but softer, not hard, not hurtful, not dirty, not problems. So it's just in the course of the conversation that he's, you know, I ask him questions and sometimes I I wish I could be more conscious about my questions because, as I said, I don't have full conscious control when I'm in full trance. And so we just have the conversation back and forth. But um, he said some very interesting things about where he is now and I'm still, still, uh, in conversation with him that continues yeah one of the things i'm curious about is his uh, life lesson so you know if you then his question would be why well he never acknowledged that he had down syndrome so he oh, never, I, you're absolutely right i asked about that yeah. i said you know have you found out now since you're doing life review why the down syndrome and whether that was anything you had any choice in and at first he said, I'm still learning this. I'll tell you later when I learn more because what I've heard from other voices is just the gap between his afterlife and his life in terms of his abilities was so huge. It's take, taking him a long time hmm. to sort of sort out who he was and who he is and his bigger self, his bigger Pete. And bigger Pete speaks in the book quite a bit and explains some of it when Pete has a harder time explaining it. And I can always tell when bigger Pete's speaking because... <laughs> it sounds different. But that relationship of Pete and bigger Pete was pretty interesting. But he's still learning, and he hasn't told me, but one thing he said later on about the choice to have Down syndrome was that there, he had something to do with that, but not entirely. And I haven't gotten yet all the details on it. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to control the conversation to certain topics better, but I just really go with what goes. <laughs> now, you mentioned... In the opening, or at least I did, uh, in the write-up about deceased parents. Now, did they come through through Pete? Did Pete mention, I'm talking to mom and dad? Or did you, in your trance, have conversations with them as well as him? Oh, I had tra- conversations with them long before these started with Pete, because with Pete it only happened, in fact, when he, when I heard that people with Alzheimer's could 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 speak in this way i tried but he didn't want to do it it was like about seven or eight months he said i don't want to do this so i said fine so i didn't and then i tried later on and then he wanted to when he lost language but yes my mother and father i had been talking to by through the trance writing for years before and um my, my mother often comes in very first when i do the when i do the trance writing and i do the induction or introduction the first voice that comes in is actually a very famous American poet who asked me to call him the name Putty. He said, if you keep calling me by my name, it'll be intimidating, I know. Just don't even remember about the poet. He taught me poetry through trance when I started doing this. 
But then he always comes in at the beginning, and then my mother usually comes in. So I've been talking to my mother. My father, my sister is deceased. I've talked to her as well. She was killed in a car crash. Mm, very so, sorry. So, yeah, a lot of voices. Very, very interesting. So yeah. uh, I know the book, we're working on it. It's uh, going to be coming out very soon, I would say within a, probably about a month sometime in June. Um, any other thoughts about that? What does Pete think about the book? He wanted me to do it. It was his insistence. He said, "Sis, you're the writer. You have to write all this. You have to have, you have to make this into a book so people can read it." Yeah. It was his his insistence. Well, I have a feeling that almost like he was here today because now the listening audience won't know this, but twice during uh, our recording, new batteries died on us instantly when we started to talk about Pete. So we can't explain that <laughs> it happened. <laughs> Weird that it happens twice when she's trying to say the same thing and repeating it on another take. But uh, if this is really I'll happening, check with him later. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to ask him if he was interfering with our show. I'd be I'd be happy to know the answer to that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. He has quite a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, uh, we are getting near the end here. Did you have any other closing thoughts you want to leave us with about your book or about Pete? Well, I, if that was um, any interference on his part, <laughs> I don't know. But I'm very glad that, that uh, Sunbury Press is, is, is putting the book together, and I'm eager for people that are interested in it to be able to, to read it. It's, I have not actually seen any book like it, mm -hmm. so it's like a different angle on, on this, and I'm, I'm eager for it to be ready and available and I look I'm glad for the chance to talk about it today great well it's been a pleasure having you on both you and Pete thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts <laughs>